Here are the highlights from the latest episode of Free Talk Live. Visit freetalklive.com for the full episode. Joining you in the studio tonight, it's Ian and Chris. Chris, you have an update on a story we covered, I think, sometime late last year, where there was some talk about, and I thought it had already occurred. I thought there was already a bill that passed about this, but what you're going to tell us here is the bill just passed, and it's in regards to the new mandate that they're going to be shoving down everybody's throat come, I believe, 2026, if I recall correctly, where every new car that is sold has to have a breathalyzer active in it, and I believe it has to be active for everybody who drives it all the time. Am I right about that? That's right. Yeah. Where's uh, the story coming from? So this is so this is the story. <laughs> okay, so unfortunately, there's no like updated article. Um, it seems to have gotten swept under the rug, but it did pass as part of the infrastructure bill. Uh, uh-huh. They basically hid the in-car breathalyzer bill in that. And uh, well, it's not like they had to hide the things. I understand it. The <laughs> politicians were all about this particular bill because who could be in favor of drunk driving? Right. If you're not in favor of this bill, kind of like the Patriot Act, right? Oh, you don't want to be unpatriotic. So you have to sign and agree to all this well, big government. <laughs> I mean, you might be when you're uh, when you happen to have a, I don't know, was a poppy seed and, and your breathalyzer, your car won't let you start the car because of the breathalyzer test. I don't think um, that poppy seeds are going to trigger trigger it. It's looking I don't know. for alcohol. I don't know right? if it's uh, poppy seeds, but I know there's there's certain things you can have in the morning that can cause uh, these these systems to fail. Um, could I'm be some not, mouthwash. That's got alcohol. Oh, that's one. Yeah, that's yeah. The, probably the one I'm thinking. Poppy of. seeds are going to trick a uh, yeah. heroin test. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking of the wrong uh, the wrong item there. But uh, definitely, um, there's going to be a lot of people who have cars in the near future who that won't start mm-hmm. because you know alcohol in the breath. Well, and and also purportedly they would not only not start, but they I believe are supposed to shut down in the instance that they detect that you are drinking in the car you know you know what's interesting about the story is people who have i I, i'm one of those people i've never been uh i've never had a breathalyzer right i've never been i've never me neither actually come to think of it so i don't know like i wouldn't know all the different issues that they have but i know they're very problematic for those who have had them even when they're not drinking and driving right? well I, i'll take this i'll take it back i have had a private breathalyzer there was an ex-girlfriend of mine there was a you could order them online and so she had purchased her own breathalyzer so i've tested a breathalyzer okay but not in the circumstance of like having a police administered breathalyzer i've not had that happen sure and of course you know the cheaper they are the less accurate that they tend to be they also apparently expire over time there's some sort of a Again, I'm not very familiar with it, probably maybe a little more familiar with it than you, but not that much. Uh, you have to keep like, I don't know if it's like a cartridge or something. There's something mm-hmm. that goes in there, I don't know if it's a chemical or what it is, but it expires. And so you have to like keep it up to date. You have to yeah. get fresh ones or whatever. And they're, so, they're expensive too. Well, um, I mean, the, you can get a cheapy breathalyzer and that's the thing. Like you get what you pay for. Is yeah, also of course. A, a if you get a cheapy breathalyzer and the car doesn't start, I mean... <laughs> Well, and I'm sure this will be a very expensive breathalyzer because it's going to, you know, it's going to be some good old boy, somebody yep. with political connections who's going to get the mandate to install these things. And well, anyway, uh, if you the reason why the police take uh, you back to the station and do a proper breathalyzer, like they've got an actual mm-hmm. desk unit yeah. at the station it's chemical because breathalyzer that one has called. been 
uh, calibrated or it's at least supposed to be calibrated regularly and it's generally considered more reliable Although there's been a lawsuit about those, and I don't know what the the status yeah, of that lawsuit there's, was. I know there's police uh, departments who are not maintaining their chemical breathalyzers, and that's the reason for the for one of the, that lawsuit that you're referencing. I think it wasn't that they weren't maintaining it. I think that the whole thing was like called into question, and I I'm sorry I don't remember the details on that, but maybe um, that's a different story. Yeah, but anyway, that's the idea. Is like the ones that are for the side of the road are just to give you an initial result, and then you take them back to the big breathalyzer at the uh, at the station. So now they're going to be doing mandatory breathalyzers in cars. What else do we need to know about it? Um, yeah, that's a good question. Um, so, yeah, it's basically it was hidden in a 2,702-page bipartisan infrastructure plan. I'm sure all of the uh, representatives read all 2,000 pages. Oh, I'm sure they did, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just like all of the people who are now going to be subject uh, to this 2,000-page piece of legislation, every single one of the American people is going to sit down and read this 2,000-page legislation, right? Yeah, yeah, right. So the safety uh, provisions of the framework don't stop at in-car breathalyzers. On top of anti-impaired driver tech, the spending plan also requires rear guards for semi-trucks to protect passenger vehicles who may rear-end them in the car. Don't ask me. An in-car reminder every time the engine stops for drivers to check their brake seats, at least they forget their kids in a hot car. And a study about whether federal crash test dummies accurately measure the impacts on women, the old, and the young. Yeah, so it's it's got like Hold all... Hold s- Read that list uh, one more time. <laughs> okay. Let's take it one at all a right. time. On the top of the anti-impaired driver tech, this spending plan also requires rear guards for semi-trucks to protect passenger... Whoa, whoa is there a comma there? Rear guards for semi-trucks, comma, and then we're getting to another thing? No. Or is it rear trucks for semi-trucks to protect passengers? <laughs> no comma. <laughs> okay, keep going with that then. Uh, to protect passenger vehicles who may rear-end them. Okay, how is that going to do anything? I don't know. An in-car... Oh, re- rear guards, I'm sorry, rear guards for the trucks. Sorry, I was thinking of it in the in the reverse. So, for passenger vehicles... So there's some. So they want to add a bumper or something like that I to guess. the back of uh, semi trucks. Sounds like it. Okay. An in-car reminder every time the engine stops for drivers to check their brake seats. This is. Is there a comma there? I'm sorry. Every uh, time the wait, engine no, no, no. stops, comma. An in-car reminder every time the engine stops. There's no comma here for drivers to check their back seats. At least they forget their kids in a hot car. Oh, I, I did read okay, that wrong okay. uh, slightly, but yeah. Okay. So, wow. So yeah, you need to be reminded that you have kids apparently, <laughs> and if you don't have kids, I, <laughs> you're gonna get reminded anyway. I, I guess. Don't forget the kids. I, you know. Wow. I the funny thing about this is this is the sort of thing that just you end up learning to ignore. The, the beeps and the lights yeah, and right? things like that. It's mm-hmm. one thing if it's used sparingly, but when you're Every used, time. When it's used constantly, yeah. it, it, you, you ignore it. And, and, and I think the best example of this is actually, um, uh, I think it was Windows, one version of Windows. They started popping up warning messages all the time. Mm-hmm. And it just got to a point where nobody ever read the security warning sure. messages. So what good were the security warning messages? Just dismiss, 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 dismiss. dismiss. It's just, it was way. just automatic. And right. I, I, I didn't really run into that too much myself because I don't, I don't use Windows. But it's just it's the it's this logic. It, you know, it's this faulty logic that oh, if we just warn people about stuff. Listen, Chris, if it just saves one life, 
but it doesn't. It actually makes you less safe. Um, mm. It kind of reminds me of uh, actually this goes to traffic, not computers at this point. But they there was uh, they you know how many you know there's signs all over the place. Well, there's some mm. intersections that are particularly uh, have a lot of signs oversigned. Yeah. yeah, and what they found was removing signs actually reduced the number of car accidents. Yes, that, I believe that was Denmark. I think you were the one who said that you actually prefer cars pre a certain year because there's yeah. certain tech that yeah. was mandated, like black boxes or whatever, after a certain year. <laughs> yeah, I mean, probably I think uh, pre 1996 is uh, like the optimal, but really? unfortunately, that's I mean, <laughs> there's not that many you know pre 1996 vehicles on the road, and the ones that are right. you know not. So I don't have a pre 1996 vehicle, but basically they uh, insti- instituted a law. I think I think I'm pretty sure it was 90. 19- 1996 or right around there um that basically mandated black boxes in mm-hmm. all vehicles uh built after that year right around that time mm-hmm. frame so that's one of the reasons i i'm not a big fan of you know more modern vehicles but it's even worse with even newer vehicles now they've got like gps devices that record you know your location in right. them and you know all sorts of other literal computer <laughs> systems that are constantly transmitting data perhaps yep. or whatever so, and, and being able to shut down your car remotely, which is, again, what yeah. they're likely mm-hmm. going to do with this breathalyzer mandate because they know, you know, drunks are sneaky, right? Like they know, OK, I'm blowing the tube to start the car and then they can start drinking. Right. But that's why, you know, they're going to keep checking you as you're driving. And if it detects alcohol, it's going to probably take over control of the car pull the car to the side of the road and then call the police yeah and and you know it's it's kind of sad uh but oftentimes people will take their kids uh with them uh when they're drunk and have so, them blow right on so the, that the yeah. kid can blow into yeah. them but the other thing that's also uh, one of the other dangers of these uh, breath breath tests uh, or breathalyzers mm-hmm. um is that because they people have to actually like use them while they're driving and they're really challenging to use right. it actually creates another hazard there so it's you know and and this is what people are not drunk right yeah so if you're randomly uh forced to use that breathalyzer as i understand that that's how, I think these that's things how work, they work yeah yeah um and that's that's and, the, and as you pointed out that's it's, the objective of that is to stop somebody who's not drunk from using the breathalyzer and then allowing you to drive off drunk um right. but that doesn't really stop the uh stop somebody from driving drunk if they take their kid with them right right and they just have the kid blow into them while well that's driving. why they're going to come up with something that is less uh or more difficult to to fool they're going to have a new system there's going to be some new tech uh that's going to be mandated and that's why that's why this has been passed they're, they're going to get rid of the tube thing and they're going to put something fancy and more expensive in its place and and it's going to be too uh, massive applause. You know, it's going to be a, a lot of people are going to be you know, cheering this on. They're going to say, yeah, we got to do everything that it takes I, to I stop drink. We got to do everything it takes to stop drunk drivers, including including inconveniencing everyone who isn't a drinker. Everyone yeah. who's a responsible drinker, number one, is going to be inconvenienced by this. And everyone who never drinks is going to have to have this. This is going to be a mandatory thing in everyone's car, meaning everyone has to pay for this, meaning everyone's price of a car is going to go up as though they weren't already uh, expensive enough. It's going to be terrible. Yeah, definitely. And apparently it's 2026 is when this is perhaps as soon as it's going to roll out. I think they still have to make decisions. I think there may it. be more support now for it, but I think once the tech gets rolled out, 
I think you're going to see uh, some pushback. Some pushback because mm-hmm. I mean, if it's going to be as you know, if it's anything like what we've seen thus far, the tech is bad, really bad. Mm. Um, and I can't imagine. I can't imagine there not being a ton of pushback once this starts rolling out to vehicles. Um, you know, mandatory. You know, for for right. all vehicles, it won't be mandatory for. Older vehicles, at least not that I'm aware of. Uh, the proposal is it would be all new vehicles. So, of course, you know, a drunk who knows about this is not going to buy a new vehicle, right? Like, they're going to keep to the old cars. Well, that's also kind of an interesting point you make because it's probably going to increase the value of the older vehicles. Um, at least to the drunks or, or to those who don't want to be hassled by whatever yeah. all this nonsense yeah, is. Yes, absolutely. Let's go to Sheriff David Hathaway. He's on the line with us from... I believe uh, South Arizona, where you live and are the sheriff of Santa Cruz County. David, welcome. Yeah, good evening, Ian. I want to talk about a couple things. I want to talk about how I lived in a city of a million people in South America that had no traffic control devices, no stop signs, no uh, no no red lights, green lights, no yield signs, wow. nothing, and it worked out very fine. Like It was just very organic the way people organized um, there will be a buildup on one side of the intersection, and then when there's a gap in traffic, that side just goes, and it just keeps going until the traffic is sparse, mm. and then somebody noses in in the other direction, and then that side dominates the intersection for however long, 30 seconds or a minute. And, Amazing. Um, it, it's the biggest city in Bolivia. It's called Santa Cruz de la Sierra mm. in Bolivia. It's not the capital city, but it's the, the biggest city in, uh, in kind of the tropical area. But I also wanted to mention there was a caller a few nights ago that wanted to make my immigration book into an audio book and he was wondering how to get a hold of me and i give out my email address to everybody it's real simple just sheriff david hathaway at gmail.com no weird spelling no weird punctuation just sheriff david hathaway at gmail.com if anybody ever wants to to get a hold of me but thank you yeah, for, anyway, thank you for that so let's let's go back to bolivia for a moment so when was this that you were living down there? And when you got to the city, you obviously come from the United States. Was this a, how big of a shock to the system was uh, this change for you? No, it, it was not a big change. We lived, in, me and my wife lived in South America a total of eight years during my time with DEA. Mm-hmm. Um, and she grew up along the border here, too, along the Mexican border. So she speaks Spanish. We both went to school here and had our little part-time jobs at McDonald's and whatnot mm-hmm. along the border. So we we both had grown up in a Spanish-speaking environment. So uh, she did just fine down there. Um, it was of the kind of the embassy community. She's the only wife that stuck it out down there because mm. it was very friendly people, very nice lifestyle. Uh, but a lot of the people, you know, they, they wanted more of the U.S. lifestyle, the U.S. conveniences, but we, we enjoyed it, and it was real nice. The years we were in Bolivia was 1991 to 1996, and then we lived on a separate assignment three years in Paraguay. And so you were already in Paraguay. South America before going to Bolivia? You were elsewhere? No, uh, we went to Paraguay after that, and my wife and children came along on on, on that assignment, too. But, yeah, we'd both grown up along the border, so we were familiar with— the, I guess my question you know, was more specifically about the traffic, though. Like, was that a shock to you <laughs> to, to go from, you know, the United States, where there's a ton of signage and a ton of safety uh, measures in place, to having you know, virtually none of that, it sounds like? What was that like? Yeah, it was. It, it was a shock, and I didn't know— 
how it would work out. And I, I had a vehicle there. I had a Toyota Land Cruiser mm -hmm. and we drove, you know, every day on the city streets. And it was, you know, very dense population. A lot of these uh, third world countries are like that, very dense population. Mm -hmm. um, but it was it was very self-organizing. And of course, the people down there, the drivers down there grew up in that environment. So it wasn't They're like they were it. trying to yeah, they weren't trying to invent solutions, but it's very natural. Like you flow up to an intersection, there's already traffic going perpendicular. You know, if it's a busy intersection, and you just kind of wait until the you until you there's a break in the traffic, and then your side starts going, and mm -hmm. then they dominate the intersection until the traffic flow reduces. And it wasn't like you know collisions or confusion. And you actually are paying attention to what you're doing. It's not hard. It's not chaotic and when if you anything see, you've like got to pay attention more right like you've got to be really looking out for what's going on you can't just rely uh, on know, some light you know not not yeah well not not really necessarily because it it is it is very natural how mm -hmm. the traffic flow develops and you're not yeah you're not distracted by a bunch of signs and lights and trying to figure out what does this mean can i really turn now is the intersection really clear just because i got a green arrow um yeah you're you're paying attention, but the flow is natural. It's not like people are trying to, you know, cut each cut each other off. No, I see what you're saying. You're, yeah. you're, if yeah. you're if you're not at the front of the group, then you can kind of go with the flow. But if you're at the front, you got to pay attention, right? Because then you got to see, you know, who's coming and who's not. And by the way, it's not to say you shouldn't pay attention if there's traffic devices. Obviously, you should look before you go through an intersection because <laughs> there's always a chance that some psycho is going to be, you know, running through a red or whatever. But uh, but yeah, so yeah, you're actually you're actually focused on what matters, you know, just like your example of the cliff and the guardrail, mm -hmm. um, you know, instead of relying on some sign or on some, you know, supposed safety device, you're actually observing the environment, the environment. Some shoppers, according to the U.S. Sun in Chicago, Illinois, aren't too sure about the new kiosk technology rolled out at the downtown Walgreens. Executives at the company made significant changes to prevent theft that have been on the rise in grocery stores around the United States since last year. However, earlier this year, during an earnings call with Walgreens investors, the company's chief financial officer noted that they may have been a bit dramatic. He says, maybe we cried too much last year? Maybe it's supposed to be tried too much? Anyway, it's too late for Windy City residents as a redesigned Walgreens with considerable anti-theft measures opened this week. Customers will now be unable to shop for themselves save two small aisles of essentials. According to the source, the news outlet shared a photo of a digital kiosk where customers choose the items they would like to buy. Shoppers then pick up their products at a checkout counter after an employee receives or retrieves the shopping hall. You know, this is uh, kind of funny because this is going back to what the situation used to be back in the day. Um it, I don't I don't know how far back you have to go, but it used to be when you were pur would purchase goods, mm -hmm. there would be a clerk and you'd go up to a counter, basically, and the clerk would then go and get the goods from the store and bring them to you. I remember a store that did that. It was called Service Merchandise back in the 1980s and the 90s. They had one where I was growing mm -hmm. up, and uh, I, I think there were some items that were on the shelf. But the higher ticket items, you had to you had to take a little tag up to the cashier 
and then they would yeah. go ahead and they'd order it from the stock room and some, yeah. some kid in the stock yeah, room would some, shove them out on a conveyor belt. I think this is a little bit different than that situation, but I, I, I know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Like Toys R Us with video games and things like they that. They did that too. And yeah, yeah um, East Staples, you know, the high ticket items, yep. electronic items would be locked up uh, from laptops to, you know, you know back in the 90s it would have been right. like DVD players and you know maybe click discs. I'm sure nobody probably remembers those, but uh, zip drives maybe. Mm-hmm. But um, now they're talking about it's going to be your toothpaste. Now it's going to be the hair dye. Now yeah. it's going to be. So it sounds know. more like what used to exist, you know, way back in the day before department stores. See, now this is before my time. I mean, it was, you weren't, did you ever see this? Or oh, no. Oh, existed? no. I never encountered okay. this. I'm just aware interesting. that, you know, before, I think it was before department stores, before the big before department what? stores. Are we talking about like pre Woolworths or something like that? Or like I around? I believe that so. Time? Yeah. I think okay. we're talking about like ni- early 1900s before. I suspect we're summoning major yeah. pain now and he's going to, he's going <laughs> to let us know where the way things used to be. Who's, if it was you know, like this. who's 100 years old who's listen in because we need you to call in uh you might remember some of this so uh and the, the weird thing about this is it's it's like if you're gonna make me order on a computer screen why am i gonna come into your store in the first place what's the convenience you know, i mean i i could probably answer that is uh you know you're probably gonna be able to pick it up within a couple of minutes as it'll opposed be a little to faster a day two okay, days yeah. three days a week <laughs> depending on but depending man, on where you are and how I mean, quickly you, you know deliveries might get to you it's gonna be frustrating though i mean you have to wait on an employee to go out find the items that you want hopefully they get the right ones yeah and then they bring them up to the front counter and then you have to then you can check out uh, it's it's going to definitely increase the time it takes, especially if the place is busy. You know, now how many employees mm. are they going to have in the store to go and pick for shoppers? So they're going to lose, I think, some number of of customers, right? Because you're in a hurry, you're in a hurry, right? The reason you go to a convenience store, the reason you go to a Walgreens or a CVS, is because it's 24 hours a day. You know the products that you need. You know you're going to pay more because it's convenient, but you're willing to, so you go in. And you pay the extra price. You may run. But, you know what's interesting about this is you may run into this. Uh, how do I say this? Uh, more in places that are high high crime ridden, mm-hmm. and uh, there may not be as much competition. So you may not have as much of a choice. You may um, not have other options. Yeah, there may saying. not be other options. Well, that's. What, I guess the other option would be to just shop online, right? And I think this is going to drive a lot more. I don't know what percentage more, and obviously Walmart or Walgreens in this case is experimenting with this. They're going to see. They're going to find out how much uh, sales are going to go down. Because I'm going to predict they're going to go down somewhat. Mm. But the question is, are the uh, losses they were taking, which must have been heavy, you know, they were taking heavy losses. Is it going to be evened out in that they're not going to lose as much as far as shrink is concerned, as they call it in the in the business and yeah. retail, but they also may lose some legitimate sales from people who are just like, I'm not wait. There's three people in line. It's going to take me a half hour. I'm not going to wait for this. If I had to speculate, their uh, losses probably ended up exceeding three percent because mm-hmm. I know that was there's the, a certain acceptable. Yeah, amount. that was that's I think the industry standard, mm-hmm. and it's usually uh, once it hits three percent, that's when the stores start adding cameras or adding more security measures right. of this nature and that's just and i i only know that because i used to work in a retail store and sure. that's what Me i was too. told uh, by management we summoned him major pain is on the line in michigan because you had said chris that in the old days this is actually how it used to work in some stores you'd go up to i believe the way it was is you'd go into a store but it was like there was a counter and then mm-hmm. everything was behind the counter and then an employee would go and 
wherever the product was, get that product for you and bring it back to you. What about that, Major Payne? Do you remember that from back in the day? I, I think this predates all of us. That's there are almost I, I, all no, of us I, alive I, today. I don't remember that, but the uh, the big bulk goods like the bulky things, the blankets and the bags of beans and whatnot. They'd be out there where the customers could wander around and check it out because the ladies like to look at the at the different materials and whatnot sure. for the dress making. But all the canned goods and bullets and you know things that belong on shelves, yeah, that stuff was all behind the counter. Oh, you remember this? But, huh? You well, it sounds like you remember this? Old Western, from watching old westerns, pretty much. Oh, okay. okay. So, <laughs> this is you're saying this is way back. This is the 1800s. I think so. this was yeah. I think this would have been probably early 1900s before the before the um, huh. you know the big department store. I think the department stores is what changed that mm-hmm. to where you can actually walk into a store and like look around the store. I think before that everything was basically locked up and you just walk in and there would was be a that due to then, theft uh, back then? Or I, was I think it, it was to protect the goods. Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes sense. There I mean, was this was before cameras and things like that. So. Yeah, obviously. There was a couple old hardware stores I remember, and they'd probably been handed down from grandfather or father to son, right? There was like hundred year old stock in some of these things, and a lot. I, I know, I know, buying many things, I'd look at the price and says, "Damn, that box price ain't been changed in thirty five, forty years." <laughs> you know? And but it, it all, all the out exterior walls were ceiling to floor shelves, and they had the old rolling ladders that went along the wall. You know? Oh yeah, mm-hmm. I've seen that. Yeah, and the only you wouldn't have a chance without the, the old boy that owned the store because he's the only one that knew where everything was. Right. All right. But there Major. was a couple. There was there was a store in the town I grew up in, and it's kind of funny you guys are talking about the blow tubes in cars now. Mm-hmm. We had a drive-through beer store. Yeah, we had one of those where I grew up too. <laughs> yep. Actually, I think and it was I a packaged liquor store. Better. I think you could drive through and get liquor too at this store. Huh. I was going. To, I was going to tell you another one too. I ran into this. I don't remember if I was in Wyoming or Montana. I think Montana. But uh, I found a bar with a drive-through. Yeah. Wow. They, they they had a really weekly written state statute that basically just said all to go liquor has to be in a sealed container. Mm-hmm. So that just meant they put the lid on the top and they didn't poke the straw through the hole and they were good to go. <laughs> sealed. So you could pull up and get you know two margaritas and two gin and tonics and two rum and cokes and hit the highway. You know what's interesting is that in other countries you can buy beer at like gas stations. Um, they just sell it like out in the open. So. You can do that in most oh, places. Out west, you can buy guns oh, really? and ammo at the gas you station. You can buy beer here in New Hampshire at the gas station, dude. <laughs> oh no, no, no! I mean like. Like, at like outside, like not inside the gas station. Like you're thinking of it inside a physical uh-huh. store. I'm talking about literally buying beer, like right, like without getting out of your car. Oh, okay. So yeah, <laughs> a little bit different. Like somebody comes up and, and hands yeah, the it to gas you? attendant will hand you a, a, a you know beer, okay. you know, like cases of beer, right? Like because they're right there. Got it. Advertised, open, like stacks of like beer right next to the gas pumps. Hmm. All right. What else, major? Well, I got a, I got a good segue for you on your Trump Mexico thing. You know uh, what the cartels are up to now? A couple of the rural provinces. Um, one of them is uh, Michoacan. I think the other one might be Chihuahua. Mm-hmm. Very very rural, very small villages, isolated. The cartel is taking drones, and they rigged them up so they can drop some homemade bombs. And they're trying they're running all the villagers out of the provinces, trying to take over the whole damn countryside. Where'd you hear that? I just heard it on the radio a couple of days ago. It was on uh, Relevant Radio. Yeah. I, I'm going to uh, call into question any claims about what the, the cartels are doing. 
And it just all sounds like propaganda to me because the other side of the story when it comes to cartels is usually they treat the people of any given area better than the government. And some stores are just saying, you know what? We're out. Mm. They're not even bothering with uh, the locking down of the products. They're just saying, you know, this isn't worth it to be in these places. And there's a story here from the San Francisco Standard about Nordstrom, which is planning to close both of its downtown San Francisco stores, choosing not to renew its lease obligations at its location in Westfield Mall. It will also close a second nearby downtown store uh, called Nordstrom Rack. The retailer confirmed the closures uh, recently. In an email to employees, the company's chief stores officer wrote that, quote, the dynamics of the downtown San Francisco market have changed dramatically over the past several years, impacting customer foot traffic to our stores and our ability to operate successfully. The two plan closures represent about 357,000 square feet of retail space, according to the San Francisco Business Times. Remember, it was just several weeks ago that we had a story about how Whole Foods close their san francisco location now whole foods was saying well we're, we're gonna see if we can reopen it with some changes or whatever so maybe they're planning to go a walgreens route and starting to lock down a lot of the store but due to safety issues for their staff they did not feel as though they could continue operating and keep their staff safe from you know whatever crazed bums or whoever it is that are on the streets potentially putting them in danger uh, so they're uh, they're closing up uh, by the end of August, and also another one of the Nordstroms on July first. And of course, Nordstrom is, as I understand it, you know, fairly high end shopping experience. I I I think there was one where I grew up in Florida, and I went there once with my parents or whatever. Is uh is this like a grocery store? Or no, no. This is what, like what kind of store is this? Imagine like a an upscale J C Penny. Okay. Or Sears or something like that, where uh, probably not Sears isn't the right term. I, I'm pretty sure Nordstrom is like focused on wearables. But I, again, I could be Close. I could okay. be wrong about that. Uh, but they're generally considered like a fancier kind of shopping experience. And downtown San Francisco just isn't the place for a fancy shopping <laughs> kind of uh, experience. You're just going to get targeted by gangs. The mall said that uh, this is a statement from the mall's owner in a statement that the plan closure, quote, underscores the deteriorating situation in downtown San Francisco. A growing number of retailers and businesses are leaving the area due to the unsafe conditions for customers, retailers and employees, coupled with the fact that these significant issues are preventing an economic recovery of the area. And if you've been paying attention, you know that things got much, much worse. I mean, they were bad in San Francisco from, you know, what you hear about things. I don't live there, but I've I've visited there a couple times in the last two decades for conferences or whatever and Hmm. never really got to experience most of the city because it's one of those things where you you fly in, you take a cab to to the, uh, the hotel, you do the conference, and then you leave. Maybe you explore the block or two around the, the hotel, but that was about it. So I can't say I have any kind of a, a feel for what things were like. But if you talk to people who grew up there, you talk to people who live there, and they tell you it's just swirling down uh, the toilet bowl in this city. And then it got much worse during COVID because then there was the lockdowns, of course, that happened. And San Francisco was known for being one of the worst of all of the places in the United States, the most kind of China-like of yeah. uh, the places was San Francisco with the most serious lockdowns. A lot of uh, small businesses went out of business during that time frame. They never came back. So, you know, once you start losing 
businesses out of like strip malls and and actual malls or whatever they start looking empty and there's just this kind of feeling that develops of of you know decline right like there if you've got a, a shopping center and it's 50% full that doesn't look very attractive it doesn't mm-hmm. it doesn't look like those businesses are having success it doesn't look like a place that you know, a lot of people are going to want to spend time so that you know has just kind of compiled on upon itself and now you've got major retailers like whole foods and now nordstrom closing uh locations there's not going to be a bounce back for this unless san francisco gets the situation under control as as a city and there's no indication that that's going to happen because they're a total like big government total control kind of uh, kind of government there so you know you're likely not going to see a return to gun rights or you know return <laughs> to to property rights or anything like that hey daily digest listeners this is riley blake I enjoy Free Talk Live, and I know you do too, but finding time to listen to an entire episode isn't always easy, so I produce the Daily Digest. I appreciate those of you who have supported me on Patreon and sent Bitcoin to me to thank me for producing these digests. For those who wish to support me on Patreon, visit patreon.com crblake86. If you wish to send Bitcoin, visit patreon.com crblake86. 86 for those details. That's patreon.com slash crblake86. Thank you. There are some people that are out there that, uh, let's say, they begrudgingly support Donald Trump because the old saying is the devil you know, right? <laughs> and... I'm not saying I'm one of these people, okay? I, for me, I'm all about, uh, as far as in the Republican primary, supporting the free stater who's running. That's Aaron Day. And he's actually a principled libertarian who understands that the war on drugs is insane and that, you know, drugs need to be legalized and he's pro-secession. Nice. Uh, so, yeah, check out Aaron Day if you have an Aaron R. Day. He's doing great work. In fact, he just published a book he sent a copy to the show. I haven't even had a chance to open it yet, so I'm hoping to get a chance to look at it, and then we'll have him on to talk about it. Uh, but there's still some people that don't know about Aaron's campaign, and so they're trying to figure out, oh, you know, who do I vote for in the in the Republican primary? And there's, there's some libertarians uh, that are looking at Donald Trump because of one issue. Not because he's a libertarian. Not because he's <laughs> pretending to be a libertarian. He's not. Uh, you know what you got when you got Donald Trump. You got bigger government. You got COVID mandates. You got all kinds of you know big government stuff. But the one issue that's important to these libertarians is anti-war, and they view Donald Trump. And by the way, Reed Coverdale is a, a co-host on occasion on Free Talk Live. We haven't had him on in a while because he's been really busy. But uh, and he doesn't live in the area anymore. But he's been posting online about how he's willing to vote for Trump in the primary. And because of this one particular issue of that Trump during his presidency was the least warring, the least warmongering of all of the presidents that we've had in my lifetime, mm. at least. I mean, would you agree with that? Um, I, I don't know. Did he start any new wars? Uh, He didn't, but... He did not. I did he draw we, down the troops in Afghanistan? Did we have a president in the nineties, like where I don't know, where no. we didn't go? No, all right. No, Bill Clinton was involved in some warmongering stuff, for sure. 
Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Did he draw I, down troops from Afghanistan? He did. Yeah. Yep, he did. Um, did he have peace talks with Kim Jong-un, uh, the first president in the history of North Korea to ever actually meet with a North Korean president? Yeah. He did. Yeah. He did. And it didn't go anywhere, ultimately, unfortunately, because of whatever reason, but... Um, they did meet on more than one occasion, and there was actual talk about peace between the, the Koreas, North and South. And largely, that was because of Donald Trump. So, did he completely end war? No. Did he you know, withdraw the troops from all the military bases? No, of course not. I mean, he's, I'm not saying he's some anti-war guy, but his rhetoric on, uh, you know, on conflict internationally has been more peaceful than a lot of the competition has. And even during his campaign this time around, you know, he's he's had the rhetoric, at least as far as uh, with Ukraine, when he's been asked questions about Ukraine, he wants the conflict to end. He doesn't want to continue funding it. And he got a lot of heat for what he said about that at the CNN town hall just a few hmm. weeks ago. Interesting. So, I mean, he, as far as monsters go, he is the devil that you know, and we know what he did the four years that he was in. He didn't reduce the government like he's, <laughs> he made people think that he was going to do. I'm not trying to say he did what he said he was going to do. He wants to redirect the troops to the border, though. <laughs> well, now that's what I wanted to get into here. And up until whenever this you know news came out, within the last couple of days, up until the last couple of days, he seemed to be a less warmongering option. But now he's adopting... <laughs> The new hot Republican, you know, perspective, which is that they should go after the drug dealers in Mexico with the U.S. military. Now, before this viewpoint coming out from Trump, he was already bad on on the war on drugs. Right? So I'm not trying to represent him as in any way libertarian. OK, he already was asking for death penalties for drug dealers, which is not libertarian at all. No, definitely not. Libertarian viewpoint is, look, these drugs may be bad, but people should be free to make choices for themselves, and that includes the choice to put something dangerous into their own bodies. And if it's if you're free to put something dangerous into your own body, you should be free to buy and sell the dangerous thing that these people want to put in their bodies. It's just a free market perspective. Trump's never had that view. Trump is far from the only member of his party to suggest sending the U.S. military to fight drug cartels, an idea that the Mexican president at the moment, Andres Manuel López Obrador, has staunchly opposed as a violation of Mexican sovereignty. So they're not going to get the Mexican government to go along with this. That's why it's going to be a hot war. (laughs) Fentanyl seizures at the U.S. southern border more than tripled between 2020 and 2022. And 2023's numbers have already outstripped last year's with six months left on the calendar. The number of fentanyl overdose deaths has jumped 94% since 2019, and it remains the leading cause of death among Americans aged 18 to 45. Now, the way it sounds so far, and and again, I haven't heard Trump's full speech about this. I would be curious to know exactly what he's saying. He's talking tough, talking about a naval embargo on the cartels. And, quote, inflicting maximum damage, unquote. What does that actually mean? Does that mean going in and dropping bombs on uh, Mexican cartel locations? Or is he just talking about a, a, you know, a naval embargo, which wouldn't be as severe? You can't. I, I don't. I think the only way to really look at this seriously 
is to look at the facts, right? And the facts say Mexico is not going to let us in. If the government won't let us in, their military won't let us in, mm-hmm. right? That means we literally have to start bombing yeah. Mexican, uh, you know, bases, and the the, the uh, blockade isn't going to be, you know. Blockade's an act of war. Yeah, it's an act of war, and it's going to be blocking all shipping into and out of Mexican ports. Probably. That's a huge problem. That's a huge problem, not just for the people of Mexico, but a huge problem for the people of the United States. Right. There is a lot of trade that goes on uh, between the United States and Mexico. Um, Big time. They're one of our leading trading partners, actually. For obvious um, reasons. They're right there, right, and they're cheap. Right. So if you cut Mexico off, that's going to have serious economic consequences on the United States. Yeah, I think that I think a lot of this is just posturing. Honestly, I oh, don't. Oh, for sure. It's got to be. Right. Because as you pointed out, the Pentagon doesn't agree with it. At least you've heard that that's yep. the case. And we know that Trump in his last four years was talked in and out of things that he had originally wanted to do by his staff at the Pentagon or whatever. So if if a general goes to Trump after he gets elected or whatever and says, look, uh, yeah, this is a really terrible idea. He's just going to he's just not going to do it. He'll just break whatever promises he's been making. This is, I think, ultimately just tough talk, but it's still disturbing. It's still, I think, worthy of being concerned about. And it makes him seem like a less uh, international peace oriented candidate. Again, not saying he's a peace guy, but just compared to the other monsters out there. Yeah, he did more peace oriented stuff during his presidency than many have in the last year, uh, last you know decades of the United States. So he did wage economic war on China, though, with the tariffs. You mean? Yes, but that's an economic war against the American people too. I would agree. Yeah, <laughs> because yeah. who pays for tariffs? The Me customer. And you. The customer <laughs> yep, pays. Yep. Yeah. Yep. People take risks all the time, and free people should be free to take risks. Which is funny because a lot of Republicans understood this during COVID. They understood the idea of you own your own body. At least when it came to the COVID vaccinations, right? There was plenty of Republicans. We were out protesting with some of them out in front of the the governor's house. The majority of them were Republicans. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I don't know if it was the majority of Republicans, but the majority of the protesters were were, were Republicans. That's for sure. And so, like, yeah, they, they totally understood your body, your choice when it came to vaccinations. But they don't understand it when it comes to abortion and they Mm -hmm. don't understand it when it comes to drug use so they have no consistency they have no principles whatsoever and if you think i'm picking on the republicans too much the democrats are just as bad we pick on the uh the 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 democrats i think more than we pick on the republicans i don't know maybe we i don't know but there's plenty of drug warrior democrats too it's not like the it's not like the democrats own uh (laughs) you know ending the the, drug war they don't care about ending the the problem is that the the parties are so similar they both do a lot of the same stuff it's like war they both are both warmongers absolutely um you know the the democrats might not be out in your face about it as much but they are these days yeah, well, the Democrats are all about Ukraine, and, and so now, now that the Democrats right, are all about right. are all about war in Ukraine, now the Republicans are starting to sound like they're anti-war. But you don't have to listen <laughs> long before you hear them advocating what we're talking about, which is actually starting a new war mm. in Mexico against drug cartels. I mean, this is this is the most insane idea yet when it comes to the war on drugs. This is absolutely insane, and thankfully, you're, you told us earlier, Chris, that apparently the Pentagon has warned against doing this. Has yeah, said repeatedly they would, for decades. Yeah, that they would rather not uh, do something like this because it's an insanely bad idea that's going to have all kinds of blowback and, and negative consequences. Go ahead, Sarah. 
Um, I wonder what's the point of the call? Did he have a purpose? I, you know, so most of these callers they just ramble on. <laughs> Well, Ricky is a bit of a rambler, that is true, but I think that uh, the purpose of his call was to lambast Donald Trump for his uh, anti-war, or his pro-war on drugs position, and which makes me wonder about you, Yeah, uh, I was thinking the same thing, that's a really funny statement coming from you. Yeah, I mean, well, Sarah, I mean, what do you think about this? You, you've been advocating crackdowns on drugs before, right? Like, uh, you want to take cigarettes out. Uh, you want to you know prohibit people from smoking at bus stops and things like that. You seem to be in favor of the war on drugs. Is that right? Um, actually, you know, I'm the more I think about it, I'm in favor of those those uh drug um homes since they explained it. Mm-hmm. Remember, I was in favor of it where you do and then they monitor you. So if you almost die, they rescue you. So I'm kind of in favor of it, but I. Are you talking I about like a when you say a drug home? Are you talking about like a recovery place where people live and they're monitored? Is that the idea? No, like in Europe, they have a place to do drugs, and then they, if you, if it gets out of hand, oh. they'll rescue you. You mean like an injection so site, I, a safe yeah, injection something like site? Like that, and mm-hmm. I, I kind of am in support of that since I heard their argument. But I really, just, okay, um, well that's that's yeah. good news, Sarah. I'm glad to hear that you've changed. Your position on this. So do you well, think I that... Well, back and forth. Okay. okay. You know what but, I mean? I just, <laughs> okay, but just to be clear. Well, I, a little I, bit I of execution, like a little bit of a... <laughs> re- rehab. But, Mix the two together. You switch them up every once in a while. So let me make sure Maybe I'm, kill uh, some of the rehabbers. <laughs> let me make sure I'm following you here, Sarah. You think there no, could be... I, I do. Huh? I don't know about being a, a this whole war against the drug part mm-hmm. of it, but I think that there should be a, a knowledge that... It should be discouraged that the drugs are harmful, and that's why I'm in support of the drug alcohol drug rehab programs. Do you use any drugs personally, Sarah? Are you, you, do you ever take Advil? No, I, I don't Tylenol? take any of that stuff. How about alcohol? No, it, well, I I drink a little bit uh, here. I, okay, I don't so caffeine. Hard drug, just, she's a hard drug user, Chris. She drinks alcohol. Now, when you say oh. you drink a little, no, I you, I don't I don't drink any of it. I I, I thought got, you said a little um, bit. I just, no, I used to, I thought that was good, and I don't even drink any of it. I don't drink any alcohol. So you used to drink alcohol, but you've quit drinking alcohol. I I drank a little bit here and there, but it wasn't. I don't. I I just never. Wait, had wait, just want to see what you, I'm, I'm clarifying here. You drink a little bit here and there, or you've drank. You have drunk previously. Um, just with the meals in here. When was the last um, time I, you had an alcoholic <laughs> beverage? Just maybe a sip, maybe about five months ago. Just a sip. A sip. <laughs> Who drinks a sip of alcohol, <laughs> of any kind of alcohol? Like right. if you said a shot, okay. Yeah, yeah. But a sip? One sip. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. You sure you didn't I'm, drink I'm, the whole I'm bottle? I calling about today. The, the, the By the way, good for you, Sarah, if it's amazing. true that you've actually quit drinking alcohol. That's good for you. I mean, I'm glad to I'm glad to hear it. I quit back in uh, 2021, I think it was. So, yeah, I'm with you. I'm well, with I, you. I never was a drinker. I I never just I just check I had a sip here and there and but I didn't do nothing for me. But. Okay. All right. What else? Yeah, well, uh, you might I, need a little bit more than a sip if you want to do something for you. All right, what else you got, Sarah? So, uh Vernalio County uh commission I've got two electric cars. They got two electric cars, and now they're encouraging the the workers to ride buses and ride bicycles back and forth to work. 
this is one of the things they want you to do to save um um fuel you know what i mean so so they're encouraging just to clarify you're saying they're encouraging county workers the county government employees to take a bus that's correct. They're encouraging them since they got these two all all electric cars for the county commission. Now, now they're encouraging employees to take the bus. So the county the commissioners get the electric car to drive around, but the other employees <laughs> have to take the bus. Well, it's an encouragement. They, what are they, they doing? Do How are they encouraging them? Are they incentivizing well, it somehow? I mean, no, it was announced. It was, the, it was announced that. So they're not like going to give them a bonus or something like that, or you know, somehow incentivize them to take the bus. They're just paying for their bus ticket. They're just saying, "Hey, you guys, we think you should take the bus." I I I don't know what the incentive is. I I wonder if they're going to get a gift right because there's not much of an incentive to take a bus on uh you know on its own. Let's go on to Cynthia. She's in California. Cynthia, you're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Chris. Yeah, I'm actually in San Francisco. I'm sorry to hear um, about that. How how are things in San Francisco? <laughs> well, um, mostly the street people are uh, friendly and mm. um, courteous, and a few are, are totally out of control. Mm. And we have trouble getting the police to pick them up timely Yikes. and do something about it. Now, do you live in um, downtown San Francisco, or what part of San Francisco are you in? Oh, I'm in uh, uh, the Pope Gulf area. Um that's uh, not Lower Knob Hill. Yeah, and, I'm not um, really familiar with the geography. Is that considered I, I, I to be had, a good area of town or not so much? Y- yes, yes. But frankly, there's a lot of unhoused people up here, too. Really? And uh, a lot of screaming and yelling at night, but oh not a lot of violence. So okay. but I wanted to, I'm a retired physician, and um, I used to own a minor emergency. So I'm used to dealing with people who come in with pain problems. Mm-hmm. And I want to explain that the federal government has uh, handicapped Trump in the sense that they have um, consistently suppressed useful information and substances that physicians could have been using. For example, the feds made ibogaine illegal. Mm-hmm. You know about ibogaine? Oh, yeah, yeah. We've, we've heard a lot about it. Uh, oh, ibogaine right, is but, the uh, uh, psychedelic substance, right? Right. It, it uh, takes, what, about two or three days? And then they get about six months that they're free of a desire mm-hmm. to take narcotics. Yeah, it's a very, right. power, a very powerful medicine. But, I mean, Trump isn't advocating to legalize that. He's talking no, about no, increasing the war on drugs. If they had legalized it, if, if they hadn't made it illegal, then physicians would have gotten skilled at using it. Mm-hmm. And we'd have probably far fewer addicted people. Oh, I, I don't disagree with you on that. I'm not sure and, what that has to do with Donald thing, Trump, though. I mean, he's the, he's the one talking no, no, about increasing the war on drugs. That's because he may have seen no other options but military well, action. That's ridiculous because— they're, How about the, just legalizing what yeah, you're the, talking about? The option is to end the violence and to legalize the drugs, and then you solve almost all of the problems literally within, you know, nights, within days. With the stroke of a pen. You know, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I see this situation from a physician's perspective, which is that you take away their uh, narcotics, and they're going to be in a great deal of pain. Yeah, sure. A great deal of pain. And, and they'll end up on another drug. And we can use Kratom, right? Mm-hmm. Kratom to help break that addiction. And the feds tried to make that illegal they did. two years ago. And there was a huge pushback, and they had to back off. I mean, you've but talked about people, the people that are in the streets there in San Francisco. I mean, these are people that are using illegal drugs, right? 
Right. Yeah. And they got all and, the illegal it, drugs they, they need to get and they get high and they get in in some cases in the, in your way and they get dangerous and they, uh, you know, or they're peeing in the streets or, or, you know, dropping a deuce here and there or whatever. And it's pretty gross, isn't it? Um, yes. Yes, it is. Yeah. So if the way you, you solve that if, problem if is them, not by making drugs more illegal listen, is you end you the war on drugs so they can so they can get cheaper and uh, then more people can afford the drugs well, and then they get better I, I, drugs. I think on the on the prior show, somebody brought, somebody mentioned the fact that you could actually give them morphine, and it would be cheaper and safer to have you could, that you could. administered. Yeah, if it was legal, and, if it was legal to do that, but unfortunately, right, it's right, it's right, not. Right, right. So that's how I'm saying Trump has been handicapped by all the Trump isn't handicapped. He's out there calling for more uh, arrests. He's calling for more a uh, crackdown and uh, the death penalty for somebody who sells and, some uh, right, morphine. Right. He's 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 upping the ante because these other options have been withheld. I don't know if you were on this show, Chris, but uh, it's been some months I think since we covered the story. It was about ketamine where don't know that it was. Yeah, so the story was about this doctor uh, in South Carolina, who had built a nationwide practice, this story from the Washington Post, this is an update, uh, built a nationwide practice prescribing ketamine for patients to use at home, notified uh, recently that he's been told he has to stop. Now, what these patients were using this for was things like PTSD, severe depression, major, major like psychological kind of issues. And they were finding that the uh, ketamine was very, very helpful to them in this this particular form of treatment. But ketamine is also a scheduled narcotic substance with the DEA. And so it's while it's not, I don't think, on Schedule 1, uh, it is on the drug schedule. I'm not familiar with exactly which uh, location it is, but it's prohibited, right? Like, you're not allowed to just have ketamine. Hmm. Um, but you can have it under the certain controlled circumstances by uh, prescribed by a doctor, but... What had happened with this guy, and they probably get into it, is he was, uh, during COVID, able to expand his practice due to telemedicine. I don't know if you're familiar with the telemedicine Oh, thing. is this that guy? Maybe we did. I may have been on the yeah. show when we covered this. I would think we might have because, yeah. uh, you know, I like to hold drug issues for nobody nights when nobody's with us here yeah, on yeah, Free Talk yeah. Live. Um, and now they're after him. Uh, federal uh, DEA contacted him. He says, this is his name is Scott Smith. He's from Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. He emailed his patients the very same day when he got the notice saying, quote, my privileges to prescribe controlled substances have been suspended until further notice. Practice has been closed immediately per DEA instruction. According to several messages reviewed by the Washington Post, he wrote in an email, quote, I'm quite in quite a bit of shock about this <laughs> because this guy he's not a drug dealer he's not yeah. he's not like some i mean but do, I, okay <laughs> this doesn't surprise me right yeah. like this is typical government you know right um somebody is actually being successful at doing something and helping and people. helping people yeah. oh no, no no we can't have that we got to shut that down Yep, that's exactly. We need those, you know, uh, users to be addicted to heroin and all sorts of other, uh, you know, substances, so that we can throw them in jail, so that you know the uh, the the um, uh, uh, prison industrial complex can make a dollar, and the the law enforcement, the sheriff organization, you know, can you know pocket more money in and say we need more law enforcement and we need more law enforcement tools, and you know, it, so we can go after doctors. Yeah, 
right? <laughs> so you have to right after the people who are actually uh, potentially able to help you. Yes, and he had been helping people, and he had a process in place to make sure that he wasn't just dealing with drug addicts that were looking for the ketamine. He had a system that would ferret those people out, and he was very successful in making sure that he's dealing with really like needy people who actually are looking for help with their serious mental problems. And he's a longtime physician. He was the subject of a Washington Post story in 2022. He obtained licenses to practice medicine in almost every U.S. state, capitalizing on pandemic-era telehealth flexibilities that enabled him to prescribe ketamine nationally. Smith tapped into a deep well of need from patients looking for an alternative to antidepressants. Emerging as an evangelist for prescribing ketamine as a, uh, to treat anxiety and depression, even though the drug hadn't been approved by the FDA for that purpose, several of his patients had credited ketamine with saving their lives. He had said previously that he had traded, uh, treated as many as 3,000 patients with ketamine, that more than half of them benefited and only two of them were looking to abuse the drug. In interviews, Smith was candid about the limitations of his virtual practice and how seriously he took the risk of misusing it. He said, quote, I can have my medical license taken away. I can be fined. I can do jail time for continuing to treat people, he said, uh, people who are abusing ketamine, that is. Still, he described his practice as a calling to help people in need. He said, I'm like a medic running around on the battlefield taking care of wounded people, and ketamine helps the people I'm taking care of. So you got to give the guy a lot of credit. He's was working in a high-risk area of medicine, right? Some doctors, they just won't even touch this stuff. Oh, yeah. They don't want the risk of DEA coming in, raiding their clinic, or shutting down their business, possibly even arresting them. So this guy was definitely like taking some level of risk, even though he was doing it legally by all evidence. But now they're telling him he can't do it anymore. And, of course, they're not commenting about it. So, like, what do you do about this? Do you sue the DEA for you know the disgusting thing is that there are authorities out there who are dictating to doctors how they are supposed to do medicine yeah, right like, government bureaucrats that's not how it should work uh patients such as Julie Minor Hackworth are now struggling to find a way to continue her therapy she says i was starting to experience positive happy joyful feelings and now that has just been taken away She's a 51-year-old woman living in Kentucky. She said ketamine was, quote, profoundly better for her than antidepressants, describing the effect as, quote, immediate and obvious. And this, of course, is the reason why these drugs are not allowed. This is the reason why uh, mushrooms, MDMA, ketamine, you know, LSD, a lot of these drugs that are on the prohibited list are prohibited because they can actually have an immediate and profound effect. That's the word she used. Profoundly better. Immediate and obvious. These are effective drugs for the people who need them for various different problems. And they're more effective than the legal route. But that's bad for the pharmaceutical companies. Mm -hmm. that's, a, that's a threat to the medical status quo. And so Pfizer... Or, you know, the other pharmaceutical manufacturers out there, these big mega corporations, they don't want to see these drugs turned legal because it will impact their ability to sell someone antidepressants to take for the rest of their lives. There's right? uh, they've got patents and they use those patents to make money big time. You just heard highlights from the latest episode of Free Talk Live. 
You can download full episodes, subscribe to our podcast, listen live, and more, all for free at freetalklive.com.